Pastor Josh last week was in Matthew 11, and, uh, and we're going to be continuing where he left off. So he, he finished, there's a couple of verses left in chapter 11, we're going to be finishing that this morning, and uh, so that's where, we're, that's, where we're, that's where we'll be camping. So before we jump into the, to today, I want to give some context, I want to bring us back to just last week. What was, what was Pastor Josh talking about? So in Matthew 11, we, we were talking about um, John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was back on the scene. He was in prison, and he sent his disciples to Jesus. And so, yeah, grab your Bibles. So, yeah, grab your Bibles and, uh, and, and turn to Matthew 11. So, it, so he's in prison. He calls his disciples. He says, go talk to Jesus. Ask him, are you, are you the one that is to come? Are you the one? Or are we supposed to wait for another? Because John was in prison. It wasn't looking like it was what he thought it would look like. Um, and Jesus replies, look at what I'm doing. Look what's happening. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The poor are having good news preached to them. He says, this is what is supposed to happen. It's maybe not what you expected, but this is what is supposed to happen. The order's, the order's flipped. You, you expected a, You expected violence and, and, and the dethroning of Rome and all that stuff. And he's like, but I'm coming and I'm doing something different. And, uh, and he said, blessed is the one who is not offended at me. Wow, it's amazing. See, even up to this point in Matthew 11, he's been doing miracles and teaching, but by his own authority, his own authority. And then he sends out disciples with, that, with, with his authority to do the same things. It's amazing. So he was, he's been living this. He's been doing the amazing works of God. And that's where he says, hey, look at that. Look at that. And so um, that's where we, that's where we uh, left off. And we're going to continue Matthew 11, verse 20 to 30. So I'm going to read it here in full, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go after it here. So verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades." For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we're gonna, the plan is to go through these ten verses, and we're going to... Some of them we're not going to get to as much as I would have liked to, but uh, we're going we're to jump in. So, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you 
had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Jesus rebukes the towns that he was at for not repenting at his works. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I was doing these works in your towns, but you did not repent. You did not repent. See, these places saw the works of God. Chorazin, Bethsaida, they saw the works of God. They saw him moving, but they resisted Jesus rather than repenting and turning to him. And he said, it'll be worse for Chorazin. It'll be worse for Chorazin um, and Bethsaida than for Tyre and Sidon, which is amazing because Tyre and Sidon in, in the Old Testament, in the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and other, other prophets, uh, they're prophesied that God's wrath is going to come on them. And indeed it, it, indeed, it did come. Even in the Old Testament, Tyre, in a couple of verses, is, is compared to a prostitute. And Jesus is saying it's actually going to be worse for Chorazin and for Bethsaida, places that Jesus had been, be worse for, that, for those places than for Tyre and Sidon. And Tyre and Sidon was, was not a good place. It was an evil place. We continue in verse 23. It says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So here we go. He, he rebukes Capernaum. And Capernaum was actually known as the town of Jesus. So Jesus, in Matthew 4, it says he went and lived in Capernaum. And so this is, Jesus, this is where he was living. So people would, have, people would have known him. Capernaum was not a huge city. It was a small town. They would have known, most of them would have known him. They would have probably known his character, his personality. And so it's the town of Jesus, yet it is the place where Jesus actually rebukes because they did not repent at his works. Because his works are proving his message, right? He's, he's coming, doing these amazing things by his own authority, teaching these amazing things by his own authority, proving that he is, in fact, the Messiah. It'll be worse for Capernaum. It'll be worse for Capernaum than for Sodom, which is actually crazy. If I'm, if I'm hearing that in that time, that's crazy. Because Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, that's a, it's actually a very familiar story, known for its wickedness, known for its evil. Uh, there was no righteous people there. In fact, in, in the book of Genesis, God rains down sulfur and fire and destroys the city. And yet, in this passage, Jesus is saying, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Which is like, whoa, if I'm, if I'm there and I'm listening to that, are you serious, Jesus? Are you serious? For, it's going to be worse for us than for Sodom. And we learn a principle here. That when people experience more of God, when they see his deeds, when they, when they have a greater revelation and a greater understanding of who Jesus is and still don't repent, they will receive a harsher judgment in the end. 
And so there's a principle here for us is that there's actually, there's, there's actually different measures of judgment and reward at the end of our lives. Not everybody is going to receive the same judgment. Not everyone's going to receive the same reward. God will, will render to those according to their deeds. Luke 12, verse 47 and 48 says this, And that servant who knew his master's will, this is Jesus talking, finishing a parable, And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. We will be judged based on what we know and what is expected of us. And really, this, this shows the justice of God. It shows the justice of God, right? For someone to know everything about Jesus and someone to know basically nothing, but then to come before Jesus and be like, well, you knew I said this. Well, I didn't, I didn't know you said this, right? There's going to be a different measure of, 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 of judgment. Doesn't mean anyone's without, does not mean that anyone is without excuse. In, in, the, in Romans, Paul talks about that, that all of us are without excuse, we can see God in, in many different areas. But God is just in this. And for myself and other leaders, this is actually like pretty intense because as leaders in the church, we'll actually be held to a greater account before Jesus on Judgment Day. Um, James 3 verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that who, we who judge will be ju- we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So myself, this morning, I'm up here teaching, which means I'm going to have greater strictness in my judgment, which is like a big deal. And I think many of us, maybe I'm wrong, but sometimes there's like, oh, like the, the person on, in the front is like, that's like the really special person. And like, oh, just be awesome to be that person. It's like, really? It's actually, a, a, it's, a, it's a big responsibility if you're going to stand before Jesus with, with a greater strictness of judgment coming. Hebrews 13 says the same thing. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so we're, gonna, we're not going to all have the same uh, level of, of judgment. But the thing is, too, in our day and age, we all have the word of God. We all have access to Jesus through his blood. And so we, we know a lot. We know a lot. And I think there will be much expected of us because we know that. And I think that's a principle here. Um, we're going to continue. Uh, <clears throat> verse 25 says this, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So there's debate in, amongst commentators whether this is the exact spot or location that this passage should be. There's, there's debate. But nonetheless, Matthew puts it here. So he puts it here for a reason. And so it's amazing. So after Jesus now talks about judgment, he then moves into a posture of praise. And I, I love it. And, and um, it says in Luke 10, in the same, talking about the same passage in Luke 10, it says that he is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit as he praises the Father here. And so he cries out, Father. 
I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And it's amazing. It's a picture of the Lord's prayer, right? Jesus already taught in the Lord's prayer. And now he, got, now he goes full of the spirit and he, he actually, he praises and prays the same thing he taught, right? I thank you, Father. We're called, when we pray, we're supposed to say, our Father. And he says, Lord of heaven and earth, which is similar to hallowed be your name, right? He, he, your Father, your, you are, you're, I'm your son, and at the same time, you are Lord of heaven and earth. You, you, are, you are creator God. And so we see Jesus here, full of the Spirit, crying out to his Father, which is actually a beautiful encouragement for us. As we, we as believers are able to have that, that Abba Father cry come from deep within us. Um, oh, I forgot to put that in there. That's okay. Romans 8 verse 15 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so as sons and daughters of our God, when we are full of the spirit, I think the Father, we'll just Father, we'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll see him as our dad and we'll see ourselves as his children. And that's amazing. You see Jesus doing this. Um, you see Jesus doing this. Um, we continue. Matthew 11, verse 25, the second half says that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. And so here we get, a, we, get, we get insight into the fact that God chooses to reveal things to certain people. By the grace and the wisdom of God, he has chosen to reveal things to those who are childlike, to those who are childlike. This is something that he's talked about before. Well, actually, he hasn't talked about it yet, technically, in where we are in Matthew, but he, he will talk about it in Matthew 18, verse 1 to 4. He says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he's revealed them to little children. God chooses to reveal to the childlike. And, and what, does, what does childlike even mean? What, what does that look like? I'm thankful that I'm a dad and I have a kid. And so I get to learn more and more what it means to be childlike again, because my baby is very childlike. Um, but I think a, a big thing um, in being childlike is actually something that he mentions in Matthew 18. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child. I think childlikeness, there's, there's a humility. When you are childlike, there's a humility that you have. And, and, and where you, you trust God, and you're willing to take him at his word. When we, go, we, we say, you know, I'm not God, you are God, and I'm going to take you at your word because of who you are, and I'm going to trust you. Even if it doesn't always make sense, he says that I've hidden things, that the Father has hidden things from the wise and understanding revealed in children. God isn't going to make complete sense to us. It, that, that should make sense. God is different. His, his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. And so, being childlike means to be humble before him and saying, what your word says, I'm going with. I think another, 
uh, in the same vein as simple obedience. Is Okay, this is what you say, God? All right, I'm in. Your ways, your thoughts are higher. I'm in. And of course, there, there can be times of wrestle. We see that in the Bible. Um, but believing, to ch- believing and choosing to live by his ways because we know his ways are higher, even if it doesn't always make sense to us, that's childlikeness. I think willing to take risks for God because God said to do something and we trust him because he's our dad. We're willing to take risks for God. I think of Shay, my daughter, and she likes to climb on her toys, um, which is interesting. Uh, but then she'll, she'll climb on her toys and be standing there. And then once, you know, either myself or my wife Carrie are, are, are sitting there, then she'll kind of just fall off the toy into our arms. Right? That's, like, that's a bit risky. But she knows that we're there to catch. And so when we know that God's asking us to do something, someone who is a child of God will take that risk, will do that for God, because that's what God said. I trust you, God. I think another way in being childlike is that we find our identity and our worth and our affirmation in God and who he says we are. Even if it plays out in, in, a, in our human sense, in child psychology, actually, it says that children find their worth most of the time in their relationship with their dads. Often self-worth, self-esteem comes from that father-son or father-daughter relationship. And so as, as children of God, our identity and our worth and our affirmation must come in him and who he says we are. Not in what other people think or expect, but what does God say? What is, what is God's opinion of me? That is, that is honestly what God's opinion of you is. What God's opinion of you is, that is the most important. It's the most important. That's amazing. Another way we can be childlike is, is once we're in pain or, or, or struggling with something or, or we're having a, a really tough day even, we're suffering, where do we turn? Who do we turn to? I think in our day and age, many people, and I've been guilty of this in my life, media, is a way to like, I'm just going to not deal anymore and I'm just going to kind of numb out and I'm going to spend time in media because I don't got to think about life and keep my mind going. Media is a way. We turn to our jobs. We turn to money. We turn to other relationships to, to give us relief. Uh, I think even people can turn to food and drink, whatever that might look like. Um, I'm guilty of these as well in my life. But a child of God Someone who's living in that childlikeness will turn to his father or her father. Where do we turn in tough times? That's a, that's a, that's a picture of childlikeness. And finally, the final thing about childlikeness I want to touch on is, is love. <laughs> a child in a good relationship with their father will love them. And it won't just be, um, I'm just going to serve you because you're my dad. And if I don't do it, then I'm going to get uh, spanking or I'm going to get disciplined in some way. But actually, I, a, a proper, healthy father-child relationship is full of love and affection and joy. And I think as, as children of God, uh, we're called to that in our relationship with our father. We continue, verse 26 and 27. Jesus says this, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Amazing. God's will is to reveal things to childlike followers of him. Jesus continues, all things have been handed over to me by my father. Now just imagine 
you're in that setting. And Jesus is, is saying these things, he's teaching these things, and there's a group of people, and they're, and they're, they're, they're Jews, they're Israelites, and, and, and Yahweh, the, you know, they're, they're Yahweh, the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh is like everything to them, right? And then Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. This is an outrageous claim. Saying, Jesus is saying, hey, the Father has given me authority over everything. <laughs> that, is, that is a, if, if Jesus is not God, that is a blasphemous statement. If Jesus is not the anointed one, the Messiah, the King of the universe, that is a blasphemous statement. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus has the authority. He has all authority. All authority. And then we continue, Jesus continues, he says, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so we see in this, we see the intimacy and the closeness in the Godhead. Right? No one knows the Son like the Father does, and no one knows the Father except the Son. There's this, there's this close relationship that we see within the Godhead, the three in one. It's amazing. And, uh, and I'm not going to go very deep into this. I'm just, just touching on it. But um, I think that's a profound thing that we could sit in for a while is just the fact that there's such a close relationship in the Godhead. And then they, that's actually, that invitation is to us to join in that. It's amazing. It's amazing. We get to verse 28 to 30, and this is where we're going to really park the rest of the, rest of the morning. Um, so I just want to refresh the context. John the Baptist asking Jesus, are you the one to come? Are you the one to come? Jesus says, look at my works. Look at my works. And then, he's, and then he, he rebukes those who don't repent at his works. Who, who, don't, who don't understand, who didn't, who didn't see it. Then he goes on to say, but those who will gain revelation, understanding, are those who are childlike. And then he goes on to say that I have all authority. Everything's been handed over to me. So in this context, we come to this verse. And I think this is a, probably one of the favorite verses for lots of people, for good reason. But there, there is actually an incredible uh, amount of power in this verse. Verse 28 to 30. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going back to 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So after all this, then Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. He invites people to come to him. He does not invite people in this moment to say, Come, go to Yahweh. Go to a certain doctrine. He says, come to me. Come to me. Now, Jesus and Yahweh are, are the same, but different, but the same. And, uh, but he says, come to me. I am. I am the one you need. I am God. To Jesus himself. And just picture, if you're in that place, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes and says, come to me, I'm the one you need. I have all authority. 
That's a massive statement. Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the solution. Look at my works I'm doing. Come to me. And he's actually making a point of quoting from the prophets. In Jeremiah 6, verse 16, the prophet says, this is of the Lord speaking. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Jesus says, come to me. I am the ancient path. I am the good way. Walk in me and you will find rest. And for the, you will find rest for your souls. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. He is the one we need. He is the one we need. And not only this, but he invites all who labor and are heavy laden. That's who his invitation is to. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Other translations say, weary and burdened. Jesus is inviting those who are weak and know that they need something bigger, something outside of themselves. They, they recognize that they are needy, which is a characteristic of a child. A child is needy. And we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, and this is very similar to the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who are hungry, who are persecuted. He invites those who are weak and needy to come to him. He invites and he, he gives rest to those who do. And so what I'd like to do to finish off is I want to unpack these verses in two different ways, two different perspectives. One is an eternal perspective, and one is a daily perspective, okay? So that's what I want to do. So I want to start off by going with the eternal perspective. Even in this verse right here, the eternal perspective, right? The, con the context of, this pas of these passages is, is Jesus saying that, you know, que being questioned, are you the Messiah? Right? And then he comes, I'm the one with all authority. Look at my works. And I'm, I'm rebuking people who aren't repenting at my, my works. Talking of repentance and judgment, and in this context, there, there is a, there, I've experienced it, there's a weariness and a burden and a heaviness to our sin. There is an eternality to our sin. We are, we are lost for eternity apart from God because of the evil and the sin that we have in us. Jesus is the eternal solution. He is the eternal solution. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only one that you can find rest for eternity from your sin. This burden we carry, he is our, our salvation. He is the rest for our souls. He will give us, he, he, he says, I will give you freedom from your sin, from the weight of your sin. There is eternal freedom in Jesus the Messiah. So turn to Jesus. Come to Jesus this day. If you've never come to Jesus, come to him. He invites you to come to him. Not necessarily to a religion, to Jesus. He is the answer. He is the ancient path. He is the way. He is the eternal rest for your soul. That's amazing. It is amazing, and it's true. 
And then on the second perspective, we have the daily. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Are you weary today? Are you burdened? Jesus invites you to come to him. He's available every second of every day. He actually desires to give you rest. He desires to give you rest. And there's different burdens and, and different labors that we carry. Some are, for some of us, it's, 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 it's a diagnosis. Or it's maybe children that are, are walking away or really struggling. Right? There, there are burdens that get thrown at us that we don't ask for, that happen. And Jesus invites you in that season to give him those burdens, to come to him, because he will give you rest. He will give you rest. And there's other of us that are burdened and weary from our own sin. Maybe there's sin that we're, we're struggling in, that we're caught in, that we can't seem to be free of. I, under, I understand that. I've, I've dealt with that way of thinking and life before. But Jesus says, come to me. Give me your sin. Give me your burden. I want to give you rest. I want to give you peace and joy. It's amazing. And then there are some of us who have these burdens and this weariness and, and we feel heavy laden, all that stuff. And it, that is because of our own doing. It's because of our own doing. And so I want to jump more into that as we continue. But see, Jesus invites us to come to him, but we must come to him on his terms. In verse 29, he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So it is so good. First of all, by this verse, it is so good to come to Jesus. Why? Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. He is able to take our burdens for us. And he is loving. He lovingly takes our burdens. It's not like a burden for him to take our burdens. No, no, that's not how it works with Jesus. That's not how it works with him. He, he is gentle and lowly in heart. He wants to walk with us in those things. It's amazing. He's able to take our anxieties. He's able to take that. What a good Savior. See, he is infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, Lord of heaven and earth, and he is personal. And he is personal. Wow, there is no God like that in the universe. He is the only one. He is the only God. He is infinite and personal. So he's so good because he's gentle and lonely in heart. But then in the beginning of this verse, he says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Well, the word yoke has actually a bunch of different meanings uh, in, in the biblical times, especially to the ancient Israelites. And so we'll jump into a couple of those, couple of those meanings here. Uh, first, the yoke was often a symbol of submission, um, of, ta of taking, another, taking on another person's burdens or mission, in a sense. Uh, so taking the yoke of Jesus, coming to Jesus, taking his yoke really means to come to him, to submit to him, to take on his life and mission as our own, to take his yoke upon us, his life, his way. Um, and the second thing I want to point out about the yoke is that the yoke was also a farming instrument. It was a farming tool. It was, it was a wooden instrument that was, 
that was used to tie different, in different ways, but what I want to talk about today, it, it would tie oxen together. It would tie two oxen together, actually, um, which I think is just actually an amazing picture. So what would happen is, is that there, there, there would be this, this, this wood object, uh, and, and they would, it would attach to a younger oxen's neck. And, and they, would, they would specifically carve it and fit it for this younger oxen, and they would get tied to an older, more mature, more experienced oxen, and then they would work the land, right? And, and, and I think that's a profound, an absolutely profound picture that Jesus is using. And so what he's doing, he, he's inviting us to yoke to him. He is, first of all, the experienced one. He is the one uh, that we are to follow. Our, he is the one who leads. Our responsibility is to stay close to him. And I think that's amazing, right? He says, uh, take my yoke and learn from me. Like, come beside me. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this yoke on you. We're going to go together. We're going we're gonna to plow this field together. And I think it's, I think it's amazing. And I think it's so cool that they, they perfectly fit it to the neck. So let's say I'm an ox and someone else is an ox. We're going to get a different fitting, right? We're not going to have the same neck. And so it is specifically fitted to each ox so that it, it, can, properly, uh, it can properly work and do the work that it was made for and for it to properly be attached to the older and wiser ox, to, the, to Jesus, which is amazing. So he invites us to be his disciple. He invites us to be his disciple, to follow his ways, to do his work, and the amazing thing is, is that we are actually designed for that. When we come to Jesus, we are taking on his yoke, and there is actually a designed yoke for each person. You are actually made to be yoked to Jesus. And your life might not look exactly the same as my life in this way. I have a specific yoke upon my life that Jesus is inviting me to take and to walk with him in. And when I do that, I find rest for my soul. I find a daily rest in, in following Jesus and what he has for me. It's the same thing with, with Chris and Pastor Josh and, and all of you. You have a, a specific yoke that Jesus is saying, take this and let's walk together. And obviously, these we're going to work together. Obviously, we're going to work together. It's not like, Nick's his own Christian, and you're that one Christian. Like, obviously, we work together. We're the church as a, as a body, but individually, we're gifted, and we're made a certain way for a purpose, right? In Ephesians 2, it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the works which he had prepared for us in advance to do. And so we have a, a specific design to us, for us, which is amazing. If you if you ever struggle with purpose, there is a specific design that Jesus wants you to walk in. You're made for him. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then in, in that, we find rest for our soul. See, so many people, I think Christians, don't have rest in their soul because they're a Christian, but they kind of live their own life, in a sense. They don't actually take the ways of Jesus into their life. And imagine that if you're if you're an animal and you have this yoke on you and, and your, your wiser 
you're wiser, more experienced ox wants to go this way, but you're kind of, you're constantly like, I want to go this way. You're going to be just banging your neck on this piece of wood all the time, and I'm guessing don't sand it down. Like, I don't, like, it's going to be very uncomfortable. And I think what happens is we, we, we don't actually, we don't actually follow Jesus in the daily for our lives. We add so many things to our schedules that are, that are not actually what Jesus is calling us to add. And then we wonder why we feel chaotic sometimes. We need the yoke of Jesus. So in one eternal sense, when we come to Christ, the yoke of Jesus is put on us. We are tied to him. But then after that, we must stay in the yoke as we work the land. Every day we go through life connected to Jesus, walking in step with him. This is our aim. Our life with Jesus isn't a couple hours a week. It's every day. Every part of our life submitted to Jesus. So good. It's so good. He, he is so gracious to take our burdens and then to give us the ones that he's calling us to carry. We find rest in that. Finally, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Here, easy really means good. Jesus doesn't call us to an easy life. The way is hard. We've talked about that. But he says, but it is good. There, but there is called to be an ease in our hearts and spirits as we follow him. As we come to him as eternal Savior, right? Eternal Lord as well, but daily Lord. There's an ease in our hearts. And the burden is light. Once again, this doesn't mean that following Jesus is going to be a piece of cake. I think that the entirety of Scripture talks that we are called to die to ourselves and follow him. However, in that, in that surrender, in that following of Jesus, the burden is light. When we're so focused on him and his ways, the burdens of this life actually become less. Become less. And, and I know that there's many burdens out there. And people get thrown a lot of cards and they get a lot of different situations. And it can feel like overwhelming and I can't breathe and all that stuff. And I, I actually just truly believe that Jesus says, when you give him your burdens, and maybe that is a relentless giving. Like you are constantly, maybe there's this one situation that you just cannot feel like you can escape from. And my encouragement to you is to just constantly be releasing that burden to Jesus all the time. Release it, release it, release it. He wants to give you rest in your hearts. Doesn't mean that it's going to be easy or that the problem's going to go away, but he actually wants you to carry his burden. And Paul knows this. Paul knows this. I'm going to finish off talking about Paul for a little bit. Talking about how the burden is light, his yoke is easy. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, this is what Paul says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He said, we are utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. That is a burden. Okay, that is a burden. And, and that's not the only time Paul talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, For I wrote... 
to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Out of the affliction and anguish of my heart, I am writing to you. At the end of 2 Corinthians, he goes on a massive list about what he's experienced in life. He's been, he's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been um, crushed. And, 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 and he has the burden of all the churches. And, and he, he's going on and on and on. I've never been shipwrecked before. I've never been beaten for my faith. Right? He's been whipped. Like physical beat down. He has gone through stuff. He has gone through stuff. And he says this in verse 16 to 18 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now listen to this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory as we look to Jesus, as we look to the eternal, which is amazing. So Paul dealt with burden. He dealt with affliction. And he was able to say, this is light for what is coming. This is light compared to um, knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. amazing. So to finish here, a couple questions. Well, one question, one warning for us, actually. One, are you coming to Jesus these days, or are you living off your own strength? It's good to check, is your heart at rest? Do you feel at rest in your life, or do you feel like kind of anxious, and there's stress, and, 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 and inside you feel that. Inside you feel that. I want to encourage you, come to Jesus, take his yoke, Ask him for what he is, he is calling you to carry in this season. Come to Jesus. He wants to give you rest for your soul. He doesn't promise to take away the affliction, because Paul even said we, this happened, that we might rely on God more, not on ourselves. Are you relying on yourself or relying on God? Come to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you. And finally, a warning for us, actually. Um, so, if you guys follow the news at all, uh, the province released their, their summer opening plan this week. And it looks as though we are heading in the direction of some opening up, okay? Um, and obviously, I find this is very good news if we are able to open up more. I think that's great if things go away. Um, but here's a danger that I see as we open up. Um, there's lots of programs and things opening up that we've missed for the last year and a half. Um, and, and, the, and the question is, are we going to go kind of crazy in filling our schedules with the things that we haven't had for the last year and a half? Because there will be lots available coming up the pipe here in the next months, whatever that looks like. But whenever, whenever things open up, there will be lots available to us, lots of things for, that will be biding for our schedule. And I think there is, a, um, there is a danger of saying, oh, I just can't wait so I can do all the things I was doing before and just pack out our schedules. Or are we going to approach 
this next season? And are we going to come to Jesus and seek him and ask him for what he is asking us to carry? The yoke that he's calling us to have, the burden he's calling us to carry. What is the yoke and burden that we are to carry from him moving forward? How can we learn from him? How can we walk with him in this next season? And so my, my challenge and encouragement to you is before you just load up your schedule with the things that we couldn't do before, take time to seek the Lord. What is he asking of you, your family, uh, to be participating in, to be engaging in? What does he have for you in this coming season? Because I think that we can go back to just doing life the way we were always doing it. And I think that there's a call to move forward with Jesus. And this is every season of life. This is four years ago, two years ago, six years from now, right? It's every season we're called to take the yoke and his burden. And in that, in that, there is rest for our souls. And Jesus is so good to do that. He's so good to do that. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus to die for us and to to take the burden of sin for us and that we can cling to Jesus, that we can come to Jesus, the one with all authority. And so, Lord, I pray that we as a church would take on your yoke, that we would learn from you, that we would, we would aggressively come to you in all areas of our life. And Lord, we thank you for that promise that you say, I'll give you rest for your soul. I thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And that as we fix our eyes on you, God, that things get put into perspective. So I pray that we would do that as a church. I pray that I would do that. I pray that even as we, as we do this AGM and vote, God, that we would walk and step with you, Lord. It's what you have for us moving forward as a church. Lord, thank you for today. Pray that you would fill us, help us to be a blessing to the people around us.